right, if you will, find your Bibles, make your way over to Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 36 today. We've just got today and then two more Sundays after this. I think it's, I counted it up. I didn't count it. I just saw what the counter said. 172 words after today is what's left. So we're getting near the end of Luke. Uh, So anyway, just catch you up a little bit. Jesus walked with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He showed them all the scriptures and how they pointed to him, and and afterwards he reveals himself to them, and and then he vanished. Those two disciples rush back to Jerusalem, and they bust into the meeting place where the apostles and all these other uh, other disciples are, and and they're ready to say, you know, you, you just won't believe what happened to us, and yet before they can get those words out of their mouth, before they can say anything, someone is quick to speak there, and they say, You'll never believe what happened. Jesus has risen and and appeared to Simon, and so they tell him that wonderful news, and and then the Emmaus guys kind of get to one-up him with, hey, you know, we ourselves hung out with Jesus today, and and here's what he was teaching us, and here's what he was saying. Um, So that's that's not word for word from the ESV. That's more of a summary, but that's that's where we're at here. Uh, So let's let's read. We're going to be in uh, Luke 24, picking up there in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and this you reveal yourself to your people. Enlighten our our minds to understand this passage this morning. Open our hearts to receive it, to to know ourselves more, to know you more deeply, to love you more fully, to, to know your peace more completely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, it's, it's still evening, right? We've been stretching this day, it seems like a long time, a few weeks now. Uh, it's still the day of the Lord's resurrection. Uh, they're gathered in this room with many disciples of Jesus, uh, probably 10 of the apostles, uh, just from putting things together. Judas is not there, he's dead uh, Thomas is not here. We learn that in John's uh, parallel passage that he is not here at the moment. He'll be here a little later. <clears throat> and as they're just discussing this, this crazy day and they're piecing their different stories together and the ones, you know, the women's experience at the beginning of the day and, and Peter's story probably and <clears throat> the Emmaus disciples and, and all this stuff with them and, and suddenly Jesus is there with them. And the passage isn't really saying what's going on here, right? Uh, but, but Jesus is, is there physically with them suddenly. Uh, in, in a sense, is the very physical fulfillment of what Jesus spoke in Matthew 18, 20, where he said, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them, right? Suddenly he's showing up. You, you get the sense here that, that Jesus has just appeared in this miraculous way, in the same way that earlier he had vanished, it just, uh, you know, it, as they're sitting there looking at him. Uh, and we get this sense for, you know, because we know he can, and, and also because John tells us that uh, the door was locked, and, and, and they're wondering, is he a spirit, and why else are they wondering if he's a spirit, except for the fact that, well, one, he's there, and they thought he was supposed to be dead, and, and two, some, some entrance in that, that way. 
Uh, unsurprisingly, they are startled. They are terrified in this moment. Uh, not hard for us to imagine. If, if Jesus just appeared at your lunch table today, uh, you might get the sense of being startled. What's going on here? And, and then here in verse 36, we, we have the first words that Jesus speaks to his gathered apostles after his resurrection, which makes these really significant words. And what are his first words? You see them there, right? Peace to you. Now, some have suggested that this is just a greeting. After all, you know, Jews uh, forever have greeted each other with the Hebrew word of peace, shalom. You see this in movies all the time, shalom, shalom, shalom. Uh, even today, right? This, this is not the equivalent of Jesus appearing and showing up and saying, hey, what's up, right? Or howdy, y'all, or hello, folks, or any other greeting of, of that nature. Jesus is here <clears throat> giving the very peace of God, speaking that to them, which is significant because think about how the apostles have responded since Jesus' arrest, right? They have scattered places. They have run. Uh, they are not around Few of them even showed up at his crucifixion. And so while Jesus <clears throat> is suddenly, you know, appearing here, is, is just terrifying in himself to begin with, there, there's also this lingering question for them. Is he mad at us? How, how is he going to feel about the way we responded when everything went down? Now, I mean, after all, I mean, Jesus has every right in this moment to absolutely rebuke them. To say something along the line, y'all acted disgraceful. I'm embarrassed by the way you acted. It was, it was shameful. You were faithless in the way you abandoned me. And, and we'd probably all hear that and think, yeah, they, they had that coming. And, and I don't think we'd blame Jesus even if he decided to, to select a whole new group of disciples. You're gone. I'm going to find somebody else. He doesn't do that though, right? And Jesus doesn't even rebuke them in this moment. He doesn't rebuke these shame-filled disciples. Instead, he says, peace to you. This statement is saturated with a comfortable truth. Jesus knew these men were not hard-hearted. They already felt conviction for what they've done, and so rebuking them is not what they needed. In this moment, what they needed is, is comfort. Many of us, you know, parenting and just in general with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we we need to learn to discern when a rebuke is needed and when comfort is more appropriate because we've seen the work of the Holy Spirit where they've already rebuked themselves. That these would be Jesus' first words to his gathered disciples really shouldn't surprise us, though. All throughout the scripture, we get this picture of Christ and the coming of peace. Among other things, the prophecy of Isaiah said Jesus would be the Prince of Peace. If you think back to the very first chapter of Luke, a long time ago now, Luke 179, uh, Zechariah the priest prophesied saying that, that this child, that Jesus was, was coming to guide our feet into the way of peace. After his birth, the angels who visited the shepherds, you remember what they sang or presumably sang? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Mark 4, the apostles are in a boat, there's this massive storm they think they're going to die and they wake Jesus up and do you remember what he says to the storm peace be still and there is peace Luke 7 there was this woman who a great sinner is the way she's described and she's weeping upon Jesus's feet after she has been forgiven much and Jesus says to her your faith has saved you go in peace 
Maybe you remember the other woman that Jesus interacted with, the, the one who was suffering for discharge for 12 years, and after she was healed by Jesus, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. John 14, 27, Jesus is with his disciples before his, his trial and his crucifixion, and he says to them, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so, of course, his first words to these disciples who are troubled, who are afraid, his first words to these disciples who he has sacrificed his life for is, is peace to you. You see, we who have faith in Jesus can always hear and believe these words of peace from our Savior. As Romans 5.1 so clearly states, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Christian, whatever else is happening in your life, remember that you are at peace with the holy creator of the universe, the sustainer of your actual soul and everything else in this whole world. You see, in our, our liturgy, in the order of our, our Lord's Day worship, we include what's called the passing of the peace. If you're new to seeing that in a, in a church service, a liturgy, right, you might not quite understand that. If you, you can look at it in your bulletin. It's, it's intentionally after we confess our sins together and then individually to the Lord. And, and also after we have listened to a, a scripture be spoken whereby we are assured of the, uh, of the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. The, the passing of the peace is this reminder that because we are at peace with God, we are also at peace with each other. As those who are united to Christ, as those who are all, you know, together, redeemed by the blood of Christ, in that time you can repeat the words of the Lord here. You can say peace to you or the peace of Christ to you or something like that. Or you can say just good morning if you want, right? The point is not that we say these words. The point is that we, we actually understand that we are at peace with God and at peace with each other because of that. Listen, I, I know we are often coming in here weary from life and our, our hope is that as we, we gather for worship that we're also renewed, that we're encouraged by the truth of the gospel and, and also by the, the involvement together as the community of God's people. We encourage one another to remember the gospel. The other thing to notice here, Jesus comes to them in their doubts and their fears. Jesus also comes to us in, in peace. Sometimes we forget this, but he's not waiting to see if we'll first get our lives together and then he'll show up. No, Jesus comes to sinners and doubters with arms wide open. He, he, he comes offering true peace through the gospel. J.C. Ryle says here, Where is the sinner, however great his sins, who needs to be afraid of going to a Savior such as this? In the hands of Jesus there is mercy enough and plenty to spare. And yet at times it's difficult for us to rest in the peace that is truly and fully ours in Christ. We, we, you know, here we see, even after Jesus' words of peace to his disciples, they are terrified. They're, they're still believing, oh, he's just a spirit. That, that's who he must be. You see, as, as Christians, one of the statements that, that we confess in the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in the resurrection of the body. It's a basic Christian belief. And yet most people on this planet do not believe that at all. Some don't believe in any afterlife at all. You die, you're, there's just nothingness. That's all there's left in their view. Some believe that there is an afterlife. It's just a spiritual existence, but no body, no flesh, no resurrection. Among Christians, there are those who, 
hope that they will be resurrected, and and yet they find it really hard to actually believe that in a day-to-day sense. Maybe they at least doubt it. I I can't help but wonder if that's where these disciples are in in this moment. We know they're not there later, but in this moment, right? They they know about the resurrection. They, They have an idea about it. Hearing about Jesus being resurrected sounded wonderful, and yet seeing Jesus now, it's hard for them to believe. They just think he must be a spirit, not not flesh, particularly because of the way he shows up. And and Jesus' resurrection body is different than our natural bodies, right? It's it's as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15 as this imperishable spiritual body, which is why Jesus can vanish and appear and who knows what what else, right? It's it's why he's flesh and bone even today, and, and yet we rightly speak of his presence spiritually here with us at the Lord's Supper. Anyway, Jesus speaks to their fears when he asks that question in verse 38. This is a great question. He says, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? In other words, what's keeping you from believing I am resurrected? Which is a question you you might ask someone who's struggling to believe the the teachings of Christianity. Someone who's struggling to believe all that that we see that Christ has done in the scriptures. It may be a question you're, you're asking yourself. Do I believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do I really believe that my own body, after my death, will be resurrected again? Or, or maybe you need to consider the very question that Jesus asked here. Why do doubts arise in your heart? Is the idea of the resurrection just too far outside of, of what we come to know of, of reality? We don't see that happening every day. Will will you believe only what you can see? See, we never get to see how the apostles actually answer this question. A big part of me wishes we did, but we don't, so there's no reason we're supposed to, or there's a reason we're not supposed to, rather. Um, And we don't hear it because Jesus keeps going on, right? I, I think in order to alleviate their doubts, he just keeps going on. He says, see my hands and my feet that... It's I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He continues to give them evidence. He's, he's proving I'm, I'm physical. I'm not a ghost. I'm not the spirit you say I am. We see what patience our Lord has here. Also, this, this speaks so beautifully to the wonder of the incarnation. The Westminster Confession of Faith, our, our doctrinal statement or part of it, Question four asks, what is God? And it begins with this answer saying, God is a spirit. It says this because John 4.24 implicitly states, God is spirit. And yet, so that he could secure the forgiveness of your sin, Jesus through the incarnation becomes flesh. Spirit becomes flesh. And in the resurrection, he continues to be flesh, just like you and I will continue to be flesh. And as he said this, you're right, Jesus points to his hands and to his feet. What do you suppose they saw when they looked to his hands and his feet? From John's gospel, we get a, a better sense, more confidence to know what they actually see. They see the scars from the nails that were in his hands and feet. Scars, scars tell stories. You know that. You see scars. You always wonder, how did that get there? You have your own stories with scars. I, I have lots of them, right? Uh, I got this scar right here under my, my eye. I don't know if you ever noticed it. When I was in elementary school, I was running for my life in a really intense game of, of hide-and-go-seek at the neighborhood pool. 
and I threw open this cast iron gate and it bounced back in my face. Uh, you know that little notch for the, for the lock to go through? Yeah, that's the part that got me right here. Um, pretty painful, lots of blood, stitches. Uh, the one right here between my eyebrows, this one's hard to hide. Uh, this was a, a knee to my face during a pickup game of mud football in college. Thank you, Chris Martin. Uh, stitches. I, I have one up here on the top of my head where no hair will grow. Not here, even though that also doesn't grow well there. Um, but I have one up there. It occurred when I was in the second grade. I kneeled down because I was going to rescue this caterpillar from uh, the sidewalk. Right? That was what I was doing at that age of life. Uh, when my neighbor, Sharon O'Brien, rode her bike right into my face. And, and she had what we called at the time a girl bike, which meant it had the metal fender on it. And that metal fender just took me out. Uh, stitches. Uh, I have another scar actually right along my hairline. My future does not bode well for that scar. Uh, you'll probably get to see it eventually. Uh, anyway, while serving as a camp counselor in college, we were waiting uh, for an outdoor counselor meeting to begin, and uh, we were bored. Uh, that's often what happens in these moments. I was sitting at this decorative table where part of the decoration was that ceramic plates were glued down. These little places were permanently there. And uh, as we talked, I agreed to, you know, $50, I will break that plate with my head. I had absolutely no intention on actually doing it. I'm not that dumb. We were just trying to get these girls worked up, uh, talking us out of it. And so when I faked like I was going to do it, uh, my head actually made contact with the edge of the plate, and it snapped off. And, and so the remaining plate is now, you know, like a knife, and it sliced right through my scalp. Turns out head injuries of this type bleed a lot. Uh, I thought that was the end of me, the way, anyway. Um, I did receive the $50. The $50 did not come, <laughs> doesn't come anywhere close to covering the ER bills. And, and that's just the scars on my head. I'll, I'll spare you the rest of the stories of my scars. Now, besides a, a few laughs, my scars accomplished absolutely nothing for anyone. Nothing, right? You see that and you think, well, that was dumb or unfortunate or, or something along those, that, those lines. And, and yet when, when Jesus scars, they, they see here, right, on his hands, on his feet, the, the story of how he got those scars, why they're there, that is one of a glorious story of redemption. You see, Jesus finds them in their fears, in their doubts, and, and Jesus points them to the cross, even as he points them to, to his own body, right? He's pointing them to the cross, to his sacrifice, to, you know, him now standing before them resurrected. And the response of the disciples here is, is, is one of the stranger phrases that we, we see in the scriptures, at least in the ESV. Um, you, you can see their curious expression there in verse 41. They still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Is that good? Is that bad? Disbelieved for joy and were marveling. See, some phrases don't sound like what they mean, and you have to slow down and think about them. Last summer, uh, our family took a vacation to Florida, and after a long day, we were so hungry, and, and I was excited because we got to eat some legit Texas-style steak fajitas at this restaurant called Chewy's down there. Uh, and when we checked in, I, I gave them my phone number, uh, and, and they text you, you know, so they know, they'll text you when it's your time to come in. The, their system sends out this automated text, and it said something along the lines of, can you already taste the fresh chips and queso? And I am such a dork and so excited that I actually respond to the automated system, and I say, I cannot wait, can't wait, uh, you know, just so pumped up about this. We end up waiting for a long time. 
Everybody who showed up after us goes in, thinking that that doesn't make sense of the same size party as us. Uh, I, I finally go in to see what's going on. The hostess looks at her system and, and she tells me, we removed you from the list. And I try to suppress my hanger at this moment. Why? Why did you remove me from the list? And, and the answer occurs to me just moments before she actually says it. She received my text. It went back to her. And, and the text said, I can't wait. She didn't hear the excitement of that statement when she received it in text form. She heard, I can't wait, so we're leaving, and took us off the list. You see, it's important that we understand what, what Luke says about the disciples here when he's writing this, that, that they still disbelieved for joy. What, what they're saying here is, is more like the phrase that we use when the Chiefs come back and, and tie the game with only 13 seconds left. The words that come out of your mouth are what? Unbelievable. Or it's like when you, when you stand on a boat at the bottom of Niagara Falls and you look up and you're like, I've seen pictures, but this is insane, right? This is unbelievable what you're saying there. And you don't really mean that, right? I don't believe there's waterfalls standing in front of me with that much water coming over them. We, we mean my mind is just absolutely blown by what I'm seeing. From this... What is actually true in this moment is just hard to believe. I never thought I would see this. You see, this is the moment that these disciples fully, deeply believe the resurrection. And it's such wonderful, joyful news that they can hardly believe what they're seeing. But they do believe. And then Jesus gives them one more bit of evidence by asking for something to eat, right? Because spirits don't eat. They don't need to. They don't have bodies. But, but Jesus, he, he makes this... The, the, the fish, right, he takes this fish up in his hand, and in case you're wondering, it's probably tilapia or carp or something, it's freshwater fish. Most of my life I pictured it as saltwater fish, right, Sea of Galilee. Anyway, uh, it's freshwater fish, and the fish doesn't fall through his body to the floor, it goes to his stomach and it begins the digestion process because he's resurrected, because he's flesh, because he's bone, because he's real. Peter, the apostle, later refers to this meal when he's preaching in Acts 10, right? He, he's telling people as he's preaching, we ate and drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. Again, speaking to the resurrection. And, and so you and I, we, we have not looked upon Jesus with our own eyes. We have not seen the scars in his hands, his feet. My eyes have not looked upon those. We, we have not shared a meal of fish and chips with the Lord. And yet we do have this trustworthy testimony of, of many people who did. Right? For us, we, we come to it with, with faith. We come to it believing in the, the testimony of the words that, that God has given us. Philip Riken here says, Their word gives us strong testimony because it comes from multiple witnesses, men and women, who saw Jesus on various occasions, not just on Easter Sunday, but also afterwards, and in various places from Jerusalem to Galilee. It is strong testimony because the people who gave it had ample opportunity to examine the evidence firsthand and thus to verify that, what they, were really, that they were really in the physical presence of Jesus. We can trust the testimony of those who first doubted and after encountering Jesus in the resurrection, committed their life, many of them suffering death because of the truth of Jesus' resurrection. Nobody does that for something they don't think is true or know is not true. So as we come to a stopping point, I do want to go back for just a moment to Jesus' first words to these disciples. Peace to you. 
Years ago, Laura and I watched a television show called Madam Secretary. I think it's been canceled. We never learned how it ended. Um, anyway, it's about a, a fictional Secretary of State played by Tia Leone. In, in one episode, years and years ago, she's working on a peace agreement between Russia and Ukraine, which is oddly relative right now, right? Um, during the process, many lives are lost. American, Russian, Ukraine, Ian. Uh, the whole process is a very difficult and messy effort. At the end of the episode, someone comments kind of offhand how great it is that this peace agreement was finally reached. And Madam Secretary responds saying this. She says, peace is a beautiful thing. Making peace is not. That statement resonated with me, right? Um, I wrote it down back then. That's why I was able to find it again. As it resonated with me as I thought about the gospel, about the, the peace that we have with God through, through Jesus. Because having peace with God is a beautiful thing, but the making of that peace with God was not. The death of Jesus was a very violent, ugly event. It doesn't take much to imagine the pain, the blood, the exhaustion of our Lord. And that doesn't even begin to explain the, the pain that we can't see with our eyes. The anguish when the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus because of my sin, because of your sin. See, Jesus went through the most horrific event in history. He was the sacrifice to be the payment for our debt. It's the only way we would ever be considered righteous in the eyes of God. And so Jesus died on the cross because that's how he could make peace with God for us. And his resurrection shows that it worked. A horrendous event, a beautiful conclusion. Praise be to God. Now, never forget the grace of God to you, towards you. Christian, never forget that you are at peace with God now and forever. When I was reading J.C. Ryle on this, I'll quote him again here in a moment, there is one line that just stuck with me regarding how gracious God is with, with his disciples. They're, they're in Jerusalem, and, and also the way he is gracious with us as disciples today. Ryle says this, Jesus is far more willing to forgive than men are to be forgiven, and far more ready to pardon than men are to be pardoned. May we in, embrace the peace that Jesus extends to us in the gospel. May we remember it, not just as a one-time event, but we come back and we remember, I'm at peace with God. Whatever else is going on in your life, I am at peace with God because of Christ. And so maybe, may we seek to be as patient and, and gracious with fellow disciples as they, as they learn, as they struggle, as they grow to believe all that is wonderful about the Lord and these holy scriptures. Christian, do not disbelieve the resurrection of the body, but but right now, believe it. For, for one day, you will experience it. And in that moment, you will be, as, as these disciples were on this first Lord's Day, disbelieving for joy. Our minds will be absolutely blown, joyfully blown, thinking, I cannot believe what I am seeing, and yet I am seeing it. I cannot believe what I am experiencing, and yet I am experiencing it. This will be real. Right? We usually say, come Lord Jesus, because everything's messed up. Sometimes we look forward at the joy of, of that moment instead. Come Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so perfectly holy. 
Thank you for not lowering your standards. And Jesus, thank you for the story your scars tell, for coming to dwell among us, for living perfectly righteous in a sin-stained world, for, for taking our sins to the cross, for rising victoriously, defeating death. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for uniting us to Christ by grace through faith. Thank you for empowering us to seek godliness and to always fall safely into your gracious arms when we fail and repent, returning to you. You are gracious again. In short, thank you for loving us, for giving us peace, for making peace with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.